When you claim that you are a child of God, you are claiming that you have all that God has. God is your father. Everything that God has is yours. We need to remind ourselves of that. We need to remind the enemy of that. And we need to stand up and declare who we really are. I'd like to start out by apologizing to you tonight for those who thought that Cindy and Kent would be here. I've, I've had that happen where I've gone to places expecting one person and getting another person. And uh, in the flesh, that can be disappointing. But we have the same spirit inside of us. The same Holy Spirit is inside me that's inside of Kent, or Cindy and Kent. And uh, if you don't let that disappointment get in the way, uh, God is going to speak to us. And I'm looking forward to sharing with you. Uh, Cindy and I have very similar testimonies, both, both healed of cancer uh, several years ago now. I think it was 11 years ago for me. Uh, healed of cancer without any treatment and uh, been on a completely different journey ever since that day. Uh, Fran and I and Aaron is here. This is our daughter that's running the tech booth uh, tonight. And uh, we pastor Living Grace Church uh, and we're meeting in Auburn Hills right now. It's not this church. A lot of people think we're the pastors of this church when they come here. But we pastor Living Grace Church, which is in Auburn Hills, and we're building our own location in Shelby Township, uh, soon to be up and running. We're hoping March and uh, April in that range. But we, every week, focus on Jesus. That's what we're about. That's all, all we're about. We're not in it for our fame, our glory. We're just there to lift up the name of Jesus, and that's what I want to do tonight. Cindy started a series last week on identity. How many were here last week? Cindy launched this in a, in a great way, and, and letting you know who you already are, what you already have, that healing is already yours, healing is already on the inside of you, you don't have to work for it. You don't have to strive for it. You don't have to beg for it. You don't have to beg God to come down and lay his hands on you. You are a healed child of God already. That's your identity. Don't let circumstances, don't let diagnoses, don't let feelings, don't let symptoms identify who you are. We got to stand up and say, no, no. I'm a child of God. I am healed. I am healthy. I am strong. Sickness and disease, you got to go. You have no right to be in my body because I am a child of God. Tonight I want to talk about a case of mistaken identity. Okay, Cindy launched this last week with identity of who we are, but I want to dive in and, and discuss a lot of times with Christians, the mistaken identity that we have. Fear, this song we started off with, is I'm no longer a slave to fear. Fear runs rampant, and especially through the body of Christ. And it should not be that way. We should not be experiencing fear. We are, we're filled with love, joy, peace, faith. Patience. Nowhere in there to say we're full, full, uh, full, filled full of fear. <clears throat> I can't even say it. I don't want to even identify it. You know? <clears throat> but fear is rooted in self-focus. And I'm not here to condemn anybody because I went through it. Oh, I went through tremendous battles with fear when I was first diagnosed with cancer. Even after I was uh, given the all clear I still have fear. But I was coming into I didn't know my real identity. I didn't know why I was healed. I didn't know what happened. But I came to learn, and the Lord was gracious, and I kept putting myself in places that I kept hearing anointed words, hearing about Jesus, hearing about the finished work. 
and I grew into my, ident my real identity, and fear left. But fear is rooted in self-focus. Sometimes it's about the present. We're fearful about the present. But most of the time, we're fearful about the future. What's going to happen to me? What if this happens? What if this doesn't happen? What if I'm not healed? You know, everybody's trying to tell me I'm healed. What if, it, what if I'm not healed? See, we like to be in control. In our human nature, we love to be in control of everything. But we cannot control the future, and that leads us into fear. Now, condemnation is typically and usually rooted in the past. Things that we've done or things that we haven't done judging our actions and blaming ourselves or others for situations that we are in, including our health. We all know what we've done, where we've been, what we've done to our bodies. Condemnation can come in. Guilt and remorse usually come along with it. Although fear is focused on the future and condemnation is focused on the past, there is a common denominator between the two. We are focused on ourselves in both situations, in both circumstances. But if you are a born-again believer and experience fear and condemnation, you are actually focused on who you used to be before you were born again. See, if and when we do that, we are looking at the wrong person. That's a case of a mistaken identity. You're looking at the wrong person. That's not who you are anymore. See, we need to renew our minds to who we really are and who we are now. When we do that, healing of the body will follow along. It's not a work. It's not, we don't have to strive for it. See, it's really not about how we identify ourselves anymore as born-again believers. We think it is. And we can let this control us. But we need to get the revelation of how God identifies us. And then renewing our minds to come into agreement with his assessment of us and who he says that we are. That's the identity that we need to associate with. So let's, like, let's take a look, close look at this case of mistaken identity. This goes all the way back to the beginning. The significance of the one man. God has always dealt with mankind through a representative. God created Adam. God gave Adam dominion. God instructed Adam with his word. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15 from the Amplified and the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and guard and keep it. God took Adam alone and told him to tend, to take care of and keep. The Hebrew word for keep means to guard, to observe, to be a watchman, to save. It actually means to save. He was put there to keep God's creation in order. Adam was man's representative. Now, woman, Eve, came from Adam's side, right? We all know the story. Adam got, or God put Adam to sleep, opened up his side, and that's how Eve came into being. She was part of Adam. She came out of Adam. This is a picture or a type of a church, of the church, coming out of the side of Jesus when he was on the cross and the spear was thrust into his side, and blood and water came out. That's what Adam, that's what it was a picture of. Adam, the side opened up, Eve came out. The bri Adam's bride came out. When Jesus was opened up, his side came out. The bride came out, we came out. We are part of Jesus, just like Eve was a part of Adam. Many think that the first time that blood was shed was when God sacrificed an animal and covered Adam and Eve with its skin. But the first time that blood was shed was when Eve was made out of the side of Adam. That's the first time blood was shed. 
That's why God put Adam to sleep. He opened up his eyes. You know, there was blood there. Blood is very significant in the word. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, Adam's righteous blood was shed before Eve was given life. This is very significant. We miss this in the story. Eve was deceived, and she failed first, right? But there was no fall. You know, if all it took was for a sin to happen, then the wheels should have just come falling off immediately when Eve sinned. But it didn't. When Adam who I believe was watching from a distance, was watching Eve to see what would happen, saw that nothing happened to Eve. And he doubted God's word. He doubted God's word that said, if you can eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. He just witnessed Eve do that. And Eve didn't die. So he started to doubt God's word. This demonstrates to us that we cannot go by what we see or what the circumstances are trying to tell us to to determine if God's word is true or not. See, it was true when God said it. God's word does not come true when we believe it or when we say it. It's true when he says it. Adam was Eve's representative. He should have guarded and protected her. That's what he was there for. His blood was covering her. Eve's identity was in Adam. It was not until Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that the wheels came off and sin and death entered the world. See, we were, that's what we were born into. We were born into the representation of Adam. Adam is our representative. That's why we need to be born again in a new man. The second Adam. That's why Jesus is called the second Adam. We need a new representative. We had no choice. We're born with tainted blood. We're born into the representation of Adam. That's why we need to be born again. We need a new representative. Jesus came to reverse what Adam did. I don't have to. I have time to go in and... and and show you and prove this to you, but I've done an, uh, just an amazing study of why Jesus lived 33 and a half years. What was the point? Why did he live 33 and a half years? Through what I've studied is so amazing. Through the dates and, and, and evidence that can prove this, it, I believe that Adam lived for 33 and a half years before he sinned. Jesus came to reverse everything that Adam did. That's why he lived 33 and a half years. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22. Now see, I'm showing you here that who our original representative was. Even as all who are in Adam die, so also all who are in Christ who are born again will be made alive. That's our new representative. See, when we are born again, our spirit is completely made new. Now it's our mind, our thoughts, that need healing to who we really are in Jesus, in our new representative. Let's look at Romans chapter 6, and verses 1 through 11. This is from the, uh, the Passion Translation. So what do we do? Do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? What a terrible thought. We have died to sin once and for all as a dead man passes away from this life. So how could we live under sin's rule a moment longer? Or have you forgotten that all of us who were immersed into union with Jesus, the anointed one, were immersed into union with his death? Verse 4, sharing in his death by our baptism, 
means that we were co-buried and entombed with him. So that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, so were also, we were also raised with him. We have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. For since we are permanently grafted into him to experience a death like his, then we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like his and the new life that it imparts. That's our new identity. Verse 6, could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? We could end the service right there. Could, there, could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power and the results of sin's power, including sickness and disease. Sickness and disease are a penalty for sin. We have been redeemed for sin. So the penalty should no longer be in us. Verse 7, obviously a dead person is incapable of sinning. And if we were co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we will also share in the fullness of his life. And we know that once, since the anointed one has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanquished death and his power over him is finished. For by his sacrifice, he died to sin's power once and for all. But he now lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. Verse 11, so let it be the same way with you. Let it be the same way with you. Since you are now joined with him, you must continually view yourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure in union with Jesus, the anointed one, your new representative. See, Jesus died as us. Jesus was buried as us. Jesus was resurrected as us. Jesus ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father as us. He is our representative. This is our new identity. Jesus is our new representative. As he is, so are we. Where? In this world. Not when we die and go to heaven. No, right now. We are as he is right now in this world. Accept your new identity. Start speaking it. Start declaring it. I am as Jesus is. I have the immune system of Jesus. I am strong and healthy as Jesus is. I have the heart of Jesus. My blood flows through my veins. I have the blood of Jesus flowing through my veins. That's accepting your new identity. I know I'm reading a lot of scripture here, but the, the power is in the word, folks. There's power in God's word. It's not just words on a page. It's not just words on a screen. There is life, resurrection life, resurrection power in God's word. Amen. Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty. We're not back under the law anymore. Leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. It's not what we do. It's what Jesus has already done. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance. Enfolding you into the family of God. See, most translations say spirit of adoption instead of spirit of full acceptance. But the Aramaic can be translated the spirit of consecrated children or spirit of adult complete sonship. Full acceptance. Complete acceptance. We can't get any more close to God. 
We can't get more holy. We can't get more righteous. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father, for the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, You are God's beloved child. You are God's beloved child. He loves you. He wants you to just open your arms and stop running away from him. Just accept him because he loves you. God is good, and he's good toward you. A lot of people say, yeah, God is good, but yeah, you don't know where I've been. You don't know where what I've done. <laughs> God probably doesn't even want to look at me. That's not true. He's not looking at you in the first place. He's looking at Jesus. If you're a born-again believer, that's who he sees when he looks at you. He sees Jesus, your representative. Verse 17, and since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. That's what I said in the beginning. We have all that God has. Everything that he has is ours, and he wants to share it with you. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. This is your new identity. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. Now, what sufferings are we talking about? Jesus was mocked. Jesus was ridiculed. Jesus wasn't believed. Even his own family didn't believe. His brothers didn't believe. Religious leaders spat in his face. They wanted to kill him. This is a suffering to talk about. When you, we stand up and declare this, people are going to laugh at you. People are going to think you're nuts. That's the type of suffering we're talking about. Did Jesus, was Jesus ever sick? Did he have disease? So can't, sufferings can't be sickness and disease. It's persecution for standing up for what you believe in and not compromising. God's word says that I'm healed. I believe I'm healed. I don't care what I look like. I don't care what I feel like. I don't care what the doctor says. I don't care what the diagnosis says. By the stripe of Jesus, I am healed. And you cannot take that away from me because God says he put that treasure in me. It's mine. You're not going to talk me out of it. I don't care what my pastor says. I don't care what my religion says. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. That's what we got to stand up and identify ourselves with and identify who we are in Jesus. As Jesus is, so I am right now in this world. Sickness is not who I am. Disease is not who I am. Cancer is not who I am. No, I'm a child of God Almighty, and he has cleansed me and washed me clean in the name of Jesus. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. For it was always in his perfect plan. This was not an afterthought. It was always in his perfect plan to adopt us. And the Aramaic translates, establish us. It was always in his perfect plan to establish us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one. Through our union with Jesus, the anointed one. Are you getting this? so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. That's why we're healed, to glorify him. We glorify God when we're healed. For the same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus. Oh, man, listen to this. The same, you think God loves his son, Jesus? Do you think he is proud of his son for doing what he did, for coming to earth, lowering himself and becoming a man, going through it, being mocked, being spit on by his own creation, hanging naked on a cross, 
just because he loved us and just because he knew his father loved us and he wanted to join us back together. He wanted us to bring or bring us back together. He wanted to reverse everything that Adam messed up. We needed, Jesus knew they need a new representative, Father. Let me go. Let me go. Let me do it. You know, Jesus obeyed everything that his father said. He could have made the choice when it came to the cross. He said, that's it. I'm out of here. I've done what I can do. They're rejecting me. Nobody's believing me. Father, I did. I tried. I did my best. But I'm out of here. And God would have honored that. And Jesus couldn't have gone. But thank God that Jesus came. But even more, thank God that Jesus stayed. And he went to the cross. And he took all of your sin. He took all of your sickness. He took all of your disease. He took cancer. He took neuropathy. He took weakness. He took arthritis. And he took sin and all the effects of sin. And he took it to the cross. Why? Because he loved us. And he wanted us reunited with our Father. No longer to call him God, but call him Father, Daddy. See, the religious Jews were so offended when Jesus called God Father. Nobody. In the Old Testament, nobody called God Father. Nobody. Jesus called God Father. And the religious people went nuts. What? That's why they, one of the reasons why they wanted to kill him so much. You can't call God your Father. When you say that, you're saying you're equal with God. You're saying that all God is, you have. You can't say that. Jesus knew that we would, there would be a group, there would be a group that would believe that and would accept it and would receive the love of the Father. And we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, you are my Father who loves me. You love me as much as you love Jesus. How amazing is that? And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. This brought God so much pleasure, what Jesus did. We brought, he brought us back. He is our perfect representative now, and he can never fail. That's why, he, you know, Jesus is a man. He's a man in heaven. Why? He's there representing us, and he can't mess it up. Not like Adam. He is our new representative. Excuse me, I'm getting too excited. God's word is exciting. Now, come and listen to a story about a man named Jed. A poor mountaineer who barely kept his family fed. Then one day he was shooting at some food, and up through the ground came a bubbling crude. Oil, that is. Black gold, Texas tea. Well, the first thing you know, Jed's a millionaire. Kinfolk said, Jed, wait, move away from there. Said, California is the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck, and they moved to Beverly. Hills, that is. Swimming pools. Movie stars. How many remember the Beverly Hillbillers? <clears throat> I used to love that show. <clears throat> I still do. You, can, you still watch it. That's the power of uh, all the... Media we have now, you can watch almost anything you want. But uh, Jed Clampett had more than enough finances to meet every need. All he had to do was make a withdrawal or release it from the bank. But he never really understood how much was available to him. Jed and his family lived in a mansion with a poverty mentality. Their address had changed, but their thinking remained the same. They didn't renew their mind. Part of a new world. Part of a new kingdom. But nothing had changed. They still dressed the same. They still talked the same. They still lived the same. Everything was new. They were given a new beginning, but they refused to change. Everything they needed was right at their fingertips, but Granny would still go and cut firewood just to feed the stove to cook. 
when all she just needed to do was turn the knob and turn the gas on and the fire was there. They would fetch water from the cement pond. Remember that? The pool? The cement pond? Or they would drill wells in the neighbor's yard to get water when all they needed to do was turn on the faucet. The supply was there. The supply was already there. But they wanted to work for it. Sounded familiar? For a long time, they thought the upstairs of their mansion belonged to someone else. That was in the early years of the the show. You remember that? They wouldn't even go upstairs. They thought somebody else lived up there. They drove around in a beat-up truck with granny and a rocking chair. They ate possum, grits, and drank moonshine. They wore tattered clothes. They were rich, yet they lived with a poverty mentality. They were brought out of the deepest, darkest hollow, a place of bondage which seemed like there was no way out. But a way was made for them, and they were moved from a shack to a mansion in Beverly Hills. They were blessed with a place where all their needs could be met, a place where they could live like royalty, kings and queens. Now, I don't want to focus on the material things that they could have, but I want us to get a picture of how they refused to renew their minds in so many areas. Renew their minds to what? To what they already had. They just refused to change. Just like many of the members of the body of Jesus Christ, we refuse to change our thinking. We refuse to renew our mind. We refuse to accept our new identity. We act like kingdom hillbillies. Now, if I don't want anybody to be offended about the hillbillies. I'm just referring to the show. That's what they were called in the show. Uh, and actually, the definition of hillbilly just means a person from a backwoods or other remote area. So I'm not talking about anybody from any certain part of the country. It's, and that's not what I'm talking about. But there's so many similarities between the Beverly Hillbillies and between born and green Christians who don't realize the mansion that they have been placed in, full of everything that they need. Everything there, everything is there already. You just need to turn it on. We too were brought out of bondage, out of darkness, when there seemed like there was no way out. We were transformed from darkness to light. Through the precious blood of Jesus, we were adopted as his own and became children of the king. God's word tells us that we are joint heirs with Jesus. God's word tells us that we are forgiven of all sin, past, present, future. God's word tells us that we are healed of all diseases, not just some disease. Not just a cancer, not just an arthritis, not just here and there. No, God's word says we are healed of all diseases. Psalms 103 says you are healed of all diseases. We have been redeemed from destruction. We have been purchased out of destruction. We have been purchased out of the poor representation of Adam and placed in the perfect representation of Jesus. Adam's representation led to destruction and death. Jesus' representation leads to life and health and wholeness. Our Father has surrounded us with grace and compassion. He has renewed our youth. He has filled us with his love. He has filled us with his joy. He has filled us with his peace. He has filled us with his faith. We spend too much time working for faith when you just need to turn on the faucet and let his faith run out. His faith has been placed in you. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. You have faith. You're just not sending faith out to work. We work for faith. Faith's supposed to be working for us. That's why Jesus gave us his faith. So it will go to work for us. Bring back results. 
When you say, by Jesus' stripes I heal, you might not see it immediately, but you keep believing. I put Jesus' stripes I'm healed. I don't feel it right now, but I'm healed. I'm healed. You're sending your faith out, and it might take a little time for it to come back with results. But just like a slave, when a master sent a slave out to do a job, he wasn't shocked when the slave came back and said that the work is done. He didn't even thank the slave. It was expected. That's what Jesus, the disciples said, give us more faith. How do we get more faith? Jesus said, you're just not putting to work the faith that's in you. You're looking at this all wrong. Use the faith I have given you as a tool, as a weapon. It's your slave. It's supposed to go out and work for you and come back with results. But we refuse to change our thinking and we mope around like poor pitiful Pearl. Remember Pearl in the show? <laughs> Who was that? Jed's sister, I think, right? Pearl with the hats. But yeah, we mope around like poor pitiful Pearl. Like we're hoping God will heal us. We're hoping that he'll you know, dole out a little blessing for us. We're hoping for a miracle. See, miracles happen. No denying that. But miracles are really for unbelievers or new believers to get your attention. We are in the promised land. As born-again believers, you know that you know, the miraculous manna that came down every single morning for 40 years stopped almost immediately when they entered the promised land. Why? They're supposed to live off the fruit of the land. They're supposed to live off the fruit of the promised land. Not having to depend on miracles. Not hoping that God's going to perform a miracle. No, that's, it's already been placed in you. It's who you are. It's part of who you are. That's part of being in the promised land. The land of promises. And we eat the fruit of the land of promises. We don't have to wait and beg God for a miracle. No, it's who we are. That's our new identity. You are a walking miracle. Jesus said that the disciples had a hard heart. Every time they saw a miracle, they were what they called a miracle, they were shocked. They were amazed. Wow, how does this happen? Jesus said, you have a hard heart. You weren't expecting it. I sent my faith out. You weren't expecting anything to happen. That's why you're shocked. That's why you're amazed. See, we need to start expecting these things to manifest. If anything's attacking your body, we expect healing to come in. When I lay hands on you and I say, by the stripes of Jesus, you are healed, I expect healing to manifest in your body. It might not happen instantly, but it's going to happen. That's where you have now got God's patience. And you don't give up. You don't give up. You keep standing. You keep standing. You put on the armor of God which the armor of God, every piece represents Jesus, not a Roman soldier. Every piece is a piece of Jesus. You put on the armor of God, and you don't go out and fight a war. No, you put on the armor of God, which is Jesus, and you stand. And you stand on victory ground because you are more than a conqueror now. What does that mean? You get the spoils of war without having to fight. That's why you are more than a conqueror. You've got the armor of God, Jesus, on, and you don't have to fight. You just need to stand and declare the victory that Jesus has already won. Jesus has already won the victory for your healing. He's already paid the price for your healing. He's already taken control and given us the keys to the kingdom for us to enter in and enjoy the promised land, enjoy the land of promises, Let's look at Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Ahaba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, 
And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Our address has changed. We're no longer in the deep, dark woods. We're in the mansion. We are now sons and daughters of God. We are sons and daughters of God Almighty. This is a powerful position you have been placed in. What are you going to do with it? All that our Father has is ours, and He wants us to have it here and now. We are now able to partake from the King's table. God has placed us in the King's palace, a mansion completely filled with His blessings and benefits. For who? For Himself? No, for us. He has set before us a banquet table and says, Come and dine. Look at Psalm 23, verses 5 and 6. A very, very popular passage. A lot of people have even memorized the whole 23rd Psalm. But we can miss some of it if we don't meditate on it, if we don't really focus on what it's saying. Verse 5 says, You prepare a table. You look up that word in the, uh, from the original Hebrew. It means king's table. It's not just any table. It's not a table like this. It's a king's table. He has prepared for us a king's table before me. Where? In the presence of my enemies. So this is not talking about when you go to heaven that you get to sit at the king's table. In the presence, of, there's no enemies in heaven. Our enemies are here now on this earth. King's table is prepared for us in the presence of our enemies, in the presence of sickness, in the presence of disease, in the presence of the curse. The king's table is prepared. Come and dine. Come and dine of healing. Come and dine of health. Come and dine. You have been redeemed from the curse. I have purchased you out of the penalty of the curse. I have placed you at my table. Come, but I can't force feed you. I can't take it and force you to eat and pry your jaws open and cram it down your throat. You have to partake. You have to renew your mind to who you are, that you are a child of God now and you are seated. Means you're resting. You're not working. You're not striving. You're seated at the king's table, resting and enjoying all that he has given us. All of his healing, all of his salvation, all of his forgiveness, all of his righteousness. It's there on the king's table. And it's up to you to partake. It's up to you to feed yourself. It's up for you to believe and stand and declare, I am a child of God Almighty. I am blessed. I am healed. I am favored. I am righteous. I am abundantly supplied for in every area of my life. As Jesus is, so am I right now. I am the righteousness of God Almighty in my new representative, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the position that you have placed me in. You anoint my head with oil. My brimming cup runs over. Surely, or only goodness, mercy, and unfailing love shall follow me all the days of my life. And through the length of my days, the house of the Lord and his presence shall be my dwelling place. God is in you. His presence doesn't come and go. He never leaves you or forsakes you. Stop begging for God's presence to come down and fill you up. You have the fullness of God in you right now. He's not going to come down and fill you anymore. Your cup is filled. You're brimming. It's running over. But it's a slap in his face when you beg him to come down and do something. He said, I've done it. I've done it. I came down, and I've done it. Sit down. Rest, my children. I want you to enjoy what I've done for you. He has abundantly placed his gifts in us and loads us daily with benefits. He is lovingly reaching out. Here, my children, take them. They belong to you. Open them. Enjoy them. All that I have is yours. What God has already done for us would overwhelm us if we would take time to see it. Renew our minds. Believe it and expect it to manifest 
it would blow us away. Oh, there's so much that God has for us. Instead, sad to say, many Christians are kingdom hillbillies. That's what I'm standing up here to change. I want to raise the percentages up that people understand and renew their minds that they are children of God. They're not a hillbilly anymore. You are a child of the almighty God. All that he has is for you. See, we have all the blessings of God, and unfortunately, they just refuse to use them. It could be because of a lack of knowledge. It could be a lack of a bad teaching, not teaching God's word correctly, not rightly dividing the word. Or just could be a flat denial that even these blessings even exist. That's so popular now that all the blessings, all the good things, we only get when we die and then we, when we go to heaven. You just got to go through this life the best way you can, but you, know, you do get to go to heaven even when you die. No, that's not what Jesus came to give us. Jesus talked very little about us going to heaven. Very little. It was all about what things were going on earth. He came to bring God's kingdom to this earth. And now he left and he gave us his power and his authority to do the same thing. People have been taught to wonder in many circles if it's even God's will to give them blessings or not. Well, I'll pray for you, but I don't know. Might not be God's will. Might not be God's will to heal you. I don't know. We'll, we'll take a chance. Can't hurt asking. You know, we'll see. We'll see. If he wants to heal you, yeah, heal you. If he's in a good mood today, <laughs> might be your lucky day. Don't approach him on a Monday. He's in a bad mood on Mondays. Best day is probably Saturday, Friday maybe, Friday, Saturday. That's a good day to approach him. He's probably in a better mood, you know, because the weekend's coming up. That's, you know, to say that, that we don't know what God's will is, means you haven't been reading the word. God's will is his word. He reveals his will in his word. When the man with leprosy approached Jesus, and said, Lord, I know you can heal, but I don't know if you're willing to heal me. See, that's the mentality a lot of us have. God, we know you can heal. We know you can heal, but I just don't know if you're willing to heal me or not. That's what this leper is saying. What was Jesus' answer? I am willing. And that's the answer for all of us. If there was an instance that it was not God's will to heal, there would have to be at least one example of somebody that came to Jesus, and Jesus would say, you know what? My father has given this to you to teach you a lesson. You weren't spending enough time with him. You were ignoring him. So he's given you this to teach you a lesson. Just deal with it. You know you deserve it. You know what you've done wrong. Just deal with it. That's not his will. But Jesus never said that. He never said that it wasn't God's will. He healed all. Who did Jesus turn away that came to him for healing? Nobody. Jesus came to demonstrate the will of God. That's what Jesus came for. So by Jesus doing that, it is God's will to heal everyone. Don't let anybody tell you that it might not be God's will to heal you. You run the other way if somebody's trying to tell you that. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It is God's will to heal you. Jesus healed all. In my Bible, my word says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it doesn't change. It wasn't just his will while he was on earth walking around. It's his will yesterday, today, and forever. 
Um, people hear about some benefits. They sound good, but they choose to keep them hidden, believing that they don't belong to them. They don't need that. Just like the upstairs in the Clampett Mansion. The Clampets thought that all the things upstairs must have belonged to someone else. They don't need those things like that, so they pretend they're not there. We can be the same way. We don't, uh, we don't need, we got enough. We got enough to get by. We don't need that. See, they won't go any higher than they are now. They won't go upstairs. What they have is enough. They don't want to walk the, walk, walk the steps of faith to go higher. The lower floor is all they need. See, that's a mistaken identity. That's a poverty mentality. It seems humble, but it's actually selfish. See, God wants us abundantly blessed, not for selfish reasons. He wants us to be so blessed. He wants us to be so healed. He wants us to be so healthy. He wants us to be so whole so we can bless others. And we can give. Freely we have received, freely we give. But see, we mess up. We try to give before we've received. We need to receive all God has for us. We need, to, we need God to fill us up with his love and just it, let his love, that's how we serve others then, is God loving us or loving others through us because we are so abundantly supplied. It's running out of us. It's oozing out of us. That's why he want us, wants us so abundantly blessed and healed so we can be a blessing to others and tell them about the goodness of God. And y'all, your father loves you. Stop running from them. See, a dry well has no water to give. Many Christians are running around like dry wells. They really don't have any water to give. That's why they get burned out. That's why they get upset. That's why they get hurt. That's why they get offended. Because their tank is empty. They haven't received the fullness of God themselves. For the most part, when we're born again, the emotions of the moment will quiet down. And then we realize that we pretty much feel the same way when we're born again. We still think, we still speak, we still feel and act the same way as before we got saved, before we got born again. And this is not uncommon among Christians. A lot of people, like they're so excited. And they get so excited when they're born again. And they want, oh, they get into the church. They want to do all kinds of things. Six months down the road, they're not even coming to church anymore. Why? The emotion is gone. But we don't realize that we can actually intentionally do something to renew our mind to what it really means to be born again. And you won't get burned out. Sadly, many Christians are like the Beverly Hillbillies. They are kingdom hillbillies, and they have that old mindset the old way of thinking still in them. We need to renew our minds. Mind renewal is the key to living a successful life as a believer. Renew our mind to what? And I know I'm repeating myself, but I'm trying to drive this home. Renew our mind to what? To our new identity. To who we are in Jesus. Our representative. We need to identify with him because that's who we are. That's why it's so important for us to find out, get into the word and find out who Jesus is. Why? Because that's who you are. We need to renew our mind to who we are now in our regenerated spirit. And as we change our mind, what is true in our spirit will come out and manifest in our soul and in our body, our physical body. We have to change our thinking to line up with what God says about the situation. Because God's word is true. Truth. Truth does not change. See, without this vital step, it's impossible to see lasting, lasting change as a born-again believer. There are really only two ways of thinking. Spiritual, spirit-led by God's Spirit, by God's Holy Spirit, which is the tree of life. 
or carnal thinking, which is being led by the flesh, which is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Renew your mind to your new identity and start living by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Look in the mirror. God's word is our spiritual mirror. God's word is our spiritual mirror. It tells us who Jesus is and that tells you who you are. Look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verses 16 through 18 and we're going to close with this. This is from the New King James Version. It says, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When one turns to the Lord, when one turns to Jesus, and you start looking at this word and looking for Jesus in this word and stop looking at this word as something that's condemning you, something that's telling you what you're not, what you need to be. When you start looking at this word from Genesis to Revelation, and seeing Jesus from the beginning to the end, it's going to transform you. It's going to change you. And the veil is taken away. The veil of the law. Stop looking at this word as law-based. No, it's grace-based. It's Jesus. The law was sent to prove that man couldn't do it. That's what the law was given for, to prove how far away we are from the righteousness of God. Our self-righteousness is as filthy, dirty, bloody rags. It's the righteousness of Jesus, our representative, that cleanses us and makes us whole. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. We are freed from bondage. We are loosed. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. It's the, when we see Jesus, when we look at this word and we see Jesus, and we read that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? First time I read that, I said, what? And I looked up, what does righteous mean? It means you're right standing with God. There's nothing being held against you. I'm saying, what? I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Now, see, that takes some renewing of the mind because I don't know about you, but most of the times I don't feel like the righteousness of God. Just driving down the road and dealing with other people on the road, I don't feel like the righteousness of God at all. But that's going by my feelings. See, even when you sin, when you know you sin, when you know you messed up, that's the most important time to stand and say, I know I messed up, Father. I know I messed up. I know I sinned. But Jesus paid the price for this sin already. And I am still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you said, now in Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation. No condemnation. Our sins are forgiven past, present, and future. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. This is another thing that you have to renew your mind to. Wow, I sure feel condemned sometimes, and I can condemn myself, but it's not God condemning me. The Holy Spirit is not here to condemn you of sin and guilt. He's here to condemn you of righteousness. He's here to remind you when you sin, you are still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is what's so amazing about the gospel. This is the good news. This is the almost too good to be true news of the gospel of being in Jesus. That even when we mess up, we are still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? God is so good to us. And it wasn't that we got away with anything. We were co-crucified with Jesus. We were buried with Jesus. Jesus paid the penalty as our representative. Getting back to what we started. He paid the price for us. 
The penalty was paid. See, God would be unjust if he punished you for something that Jesus has already paid the price for. He would be an unjust God. See, this is the power, the standing, the, the victory ground that you're standing on. Let that sink in. Renew your mind that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Wake up in the morning. Get, put your foot on the grass. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am righteous. I am a child of God. I am loved. I am blessed. I am healed. I am forgiven. I am as Jesus is right now in this world. But we take this work. And just like when we get up in the morning, most of us and most, all of us should go to the mirror and see what we look like and make adjustments. You look in the mirror, don't you? And you see what you look like. What do you do? Most of us, I know some don't, like Kim is perfect, so she doesn't ever have to make an adjustment. You know, so, but I have to make lots of adjustments. My hair is all over the place. I got to brush my teeth. I got to uh, do a lot of things that I'm not going to describe here. <laughs> but I look in the mirror to see what adjustments have to be made. But see, that's how we need to look at this work. You look at the word. This is Jesus. You look at the word and you see Jesus. You find out when this says, by Jesus stripes you are healed. I am healed. Now, as a mirror, you're looking in. I'm healed. I am the healed one. I am as Jesus is. I'm healed. That mirror is reflecting back and showing you who you are. And now you make adjustment. You say, oh, no. Sickness and disease, you got to go. I'm making adjustments. I'm renewing my mind. I'm, I see it right here. It's in the mirror. That's who I am. That's when you do that. When you see what you are in the world, you see what Jesus is, and you see, recognize that that's who you are, that's what transforms you into his very own image. And we don't have to work for it. The word says it's by the Spirit of the Lord. That's why the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of us. See, when we recognize Jesus, when we thank Jesus, when we see that by Jesus, thank you, Jesus, by your stripe, you have, I am healed, then the Holy Spirit says, yeah, now I got something to work with. He's here to glorify Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not here to glorify himself. That's why he doesn't have a name. Holy Spirit isn't even his name. It's the spirit of holiness is really the way it should be translated. But we try to give him a name. He doesn't want the recognition. There's a lot of examples in the word. of, And the Holy Spirit is represented there. But most of the time, he's the unnamed servant. Why? He's not there to bring attention to himself. He's there to glorify Jesus. And that's why when we behold who we are and we recognize, we see Jesus in this word and we get excited and we just go, that's who Jesus is. Jesus has done that for me. The Holy Spirit starts transforming you into the very image of Jesus. That's what he was sent for. And to remind you that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God is so good. He loves us so much. Start going. Get into this word. Find out everything you can about Jesus. But just start simple. Just find one verse. Just find one. Don't make this a work. Don't make it complicated. Don't make it... We, we compl religion complicates things. Healing is very simple. We try to make it more difficult than it is. Behold Jesus. Renew your mind to who you are in Christ Jesus and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. You rest. You come to the king's table. You have a seat. You start dining on everything that Jesus has done for you, everything that your Father has set before you. You start feeding yourself with, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. By Jesus' stripes, I am healed. I am forgiven. I am made whole. I have been redeemed from destruction. And you're just feeding yourself, and you're seeing yourself the way God wants to see you now. That's your new identity. That's who you really are as a born-again believer. You are not a broken down, just a sinner saved by grace. No, you are a born-again child of God Almighty. 
And it's time that the church starts acting like it. This is not a game. This is not a hope. This is not a wish. This is truth. God's word is true. Father, we thank you for your word. There's power in your word. We can feel it right now, the power that's going forth because we are just beholding your word. And we're beholding Jesus in your word. And we're recognizing what Jesus has done. And we declare right now that Jesus is our representative. I thank you, Father, that Jesus is our representative and that I am identified with him now because he is representing me. He is my union steward. He is my representative. And as he is, so am I right now. As he is, so is every person in this room right now. We thank you that as Jesus is, so are we, and that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever, and that we are healed, that we are righteous, that we are forgiven, that we are abundantly supplied for, that we are sitting at the table filled with your blessings. Father, thank you for loving us so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're going to be here up here after. We're going to have another song.